There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to It Never Gets Old. A first-hand account of all things secondhand, sustainable, pre-loved, vintage consignment. We're going to dig into some lingo, some response from our new listeners. Hello, hello. I am your host, Meredith Feynman. I am joined by my bestie in the Westie and producer, Sarah Lane. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Meredith. It's funny that you said pre-loved because I know just a few short episodes ago, you weren't super pumped on that term. I'm not, but uh, how are you doing more generally, my dear? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had I was at CES. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's the it's actually not supposed to be uh, an acronym for the Consumer Electronics Show anymore. the The parent organization behind it is trying to do like a KFC thing, but that's what it is. Uh, it takes place in Las Vegas every January, kind of right after New Year's. So I had one of those bizarre world weeks that I do. I've been going to CES for like a decade. And I saw a lot of 8K TVs and hung out with way too many people at once and got overstimulated and I'm happy to be home. Yeah, it sounds like a lot given that um, I am unable to basically plug in a basic power cord. Uh, When we started, (laughs) we... It never gets old. Uh, We have an archive. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Hello. We're excited to have you. And please, please, and to anyone listening, uh, rate and review us on, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It's so exciting to be on the, you know, Apple Podcast Explore page under Conscious Consumerism. We've been on some charts. It's so, so rad. And so there's a whole archive. Uh, back through April of 2019. Uh, Tell us what you think. This is also going to be sort of a feedback episode because I'm getting a lot of similar questions uh, from all y'all listeners. Yeah, and I think think the reason you kind of brought that up, Mare, is because you were about to say at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we were still trying to figure out our technical setup and we've gotten a hold of it. But uh, even even something as as seemingly simple as, oh, it's an audio podcast. How hard could it be? Turns out there are a lot of moving parts. Well, and audio, you know, I have been, you know, I love the sound of my voice and the look of my face in every medium. I say that somewhat truthfully and then somewhat definitely not. Uh, but what I will say is audio is really deceptive. I mean, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, do it. Sarah has been my power cord Sharpa. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article about that box of cords you have in your 
living room or basement that you haven't pulled out that you know is just like still full of cords and why aren't you getting rid of it? But your girl over here is very, very technologically challenged. So the idea of going to CES, I don't think I have like a 1K TV. I don't know what kind of TV I have, basically. I barely know how to use it. (laughs) Um, And that's why I am so, so grateful for Sarah and her technical prowess. But enough about power cords. Uh, Let's get into today's episode. So... I did a great collaboration with Eco Chic Podcast, uh, which is another sustainability podcast, and you will get all the information when that is live. But in that conversation with Laura, the host, uh, something that came up that she didn't know that I wanted to reiterate a little bit because we defined it at the beginning of It Never Gets Old was really the lingo of the industry, the lingo of the secondhand world and what different stuff means. I mean, I feel like, Sarah, now you probably feel like you have a good grasp on it for the most part. Yeah, I, I do. But but there was a time where you would have said something like, I don't know, secondhand versus vintage. And I'd go, I don't know, aren't they both? older you know there are some some subtle differences between a lot of terms that I think people blend together but they do mean different things totally and I wanted to get on here and just pull them apart again because one thing about the industry and this is what I spoke on eco chic about is that there is not currently a consensus on what to call clothing that has been worn owned purchased by someone else and then brought back to market So basically, whether it's the real real or it's a local consignment store or it's eBay, there isn't really, I would say, a uniform language that we're using. So I'm going to tell you the different language that people use if it means different things. And if you're looking to get into this world or already you're into it, like actually what some of these nuances are. So the first term is secondhand. That is something that I think is becoming the dominant term for anything that is previously owned by someone else. That's sort of a catch-all umbrella. I would say that secondhand is a catch-all umbrella for what I will go into, the differences among consignment and resale and vintage and what have you, but that's like an umbrella. Same thing goes with used. Uh, That is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. It's been used by someone else, though a lot of stuff under the category of used clothing, quote unquote, definitely still has the tags on it. So while it is under the umbrella of used, it's not technically used, but that's how it's currently like being dealt with in, in the language of the secondhand world. And I think in the next couple years, Hopefully the terminology will streamline, but I think a lot of people are using them interchangeably where some people know that they mean different things and some people don't know that they mean different things. So those are sort of the two umbrella terms. Pre-loved is also one of those terms that I would say is a catch-all for anything that is used, anything that is secondhand. I mean, I don't know. Do you like the term, Sarah? I don't don't dislike it. I think that it's a good term in the sense that I think a lot of people who are maybe interested in getting into the secondhand industry, but maybe are like, well, but if somebody's getting rid of something, there must be something wrong with it. The term pre-loved kind of negates that whole thing because it's sort of like, I loved this thing and now you can love this thing. It keeps everything very positive. Absolutely. And I think that that's 
maybe one of my issues with it is I feel like it's sort of sugarcoating it. Now, some people need that. The very first episode we ever did was is secondhand clothing gross? Talking about the bacteria, I definitely in 2020 want to really do some mad science around that and and do it all over again where we had like a very small experiment about bacteria levels. But I guess I don't love pre-loved because it is this sugar coating and I obviously don't care. I'm here to democratize this practice of buying things that are used. But for some people, that is necessary for them to put a toe into this world. Like if you're listening to It Never Gets Old, you could be someone who has thrifted for a decade and is obsessive and is like, I just wanna learn more things. Or you could have found us on the arts chart, may I say, uh, or somewhere else and decided you wanted to, you know, maybe learn for the first time. So I wanted to just take this step back. So those are kind of the umbrella terms, and they're not uniform right now. Uh, The industry as a whole hasn't settled on any one of them. So so I think that that will happen. So then the actual denominations of things where I think some people get confused or are using them interchangeably. So first we have consignment. So consignment technically means that something is on loan. This was something I was emphasizing uh, on the EcoChic podcast is there actually is a huge difference between resale and consignment, though sometimes they're kind of muddled right now. But consignment means that something is on loan to a store and that store has X amount of time to sell it or if or then you have to take it back. Yeah, because I have a I have a fake acne sweatshirt. Turns out, but that's a story for another time. Go to our archives. Go to our archives. Listen to you know some fakes and authentication conversations. But you know if I'm selling an authentic acne sweatshirt, let's say they price it at one hundred and fifty dollars. I typically the splits, uh, the amount of money that you take home versus the store depends. A lot of stores currently are doing this thing where the higher value item you bring, the more money you get in sort of a tiered way. But it's usually about 50, 50, 60, 40 in, in favor of the person doing the consigning. So I give that $150 sweatshirt to my friend Krista's, you know, store at Ella Rue. She sells it. I get 75 bucks or she doesn't sell it. And then eight weeks later, I have to come pick it up. And that is consignment. Because uh, Mare and I recently both watched uh, the movie Uncut Gems. This is different from a pawn shop, say, where you want money right away. You, You let the pawn shop take your stuff. They give you money that you need right away. And maybe if you can get that money back to get your your something back that's valuable, that is a different model than this. Although they're kind of similar in the way that they are holding something for you that you might get value out of later. Yes. And pawn shops are incredibly interesting. I actually haven't talked about them that much on It Never Gets Old. And it's something I want to talk about more because those are some of the original resale shops where where you need cash and it it was usually often someone in a more, let's say, pressure-filled situation to get money for whatever they needed. Shout out on Cut Gems. You should see it if you haven't seen it. A sentence I literally never thought I would say is give Adam Sandler an Oscar. But uh, yes, there's a lot of pawning going on with that, which leads me to the idea of resale, which is different from consignment. So resale means that someone is buying something off of you and then they own it. So if I take that acne sweatshirt to a resale shop, that means, and this is also true of like the real real, is technically honestly resale and not consignment because they're owning the garment and you get a portion of it. It's actually kind of both are muddled now that I think about it. But resale means that someone's buying it off of you and you're likely getting less money, but you're getting that money on the spot. 
So I take that sweatshirt to a friend's store and resale is usually priced lower than consignment because the store has taken a risk on buying that object and they price it for lower so that it moves out of their store. So they'll say, okay, we'll price it for $80 instead of say 150 at this consignment store and we'll give you 40 bucks on the spot for it. So that's resale. And then they give me my $40 and it's theirs. I can't take it back. Yeah, that's the end of it. You get your money, you're done. That's the end of it. So like those are those are two terms I really wanted to define and then define vintage. So consignment and resale, uh, maybe I'll draw a cute little graphic. And by cute, I mean like I'll scribble something on a page and we'll put it on our Instagram. But vintage can mean consignment or resale or its own category. That is also an interesting catch-all that is sort of loosely defined as anything that is 20 years or older. A lot of people talk about things that are vintage and actually they're sort of designer resale, designer consignment. They're not actual true vintage. And then I see a huge difference between like vintage and then like archive vintage, which is something I'm making up. But I think that there's a huge difference between 20 years now. I mean, it's 2020. That means like if you buy some juicy sweatpants, they're technically vintage. Oh my God, we're so old. You know, from 2000, that's different from a mod dress from the 60s. Right. And and it probably varies by brand too. You know, the juicy sweatpants, I don't know, you might like them. I guess they technically are vintage, but not necessarily something that you know, would be in the same category as, you know, a Chanel bag or something that is old but very valuable. Yeah, then you're getting into almost sort of like collector's items. Some people's huge, you know, uh, collections are at auction houses and they're doing those through Sotheby's. Like that's a whole different, whole different scale. And Sotheby's is actually really um, building out its fashion practice all of these houses again with the proliferation of people being okay buying things that were quote-unquote pre-loved means that some of these auction houses are taking it very seriously because certain Hermes bags can be up to a hundred thousand dollars so that's like really really nothing to play with the last term I wanted to just clarify is thrift which again is sort of a catch-all but that is usually Sometimes you might find something designer, but it's not consignment and it's not resale. It's usually almost all donated. And the person donating it, if I take my acne sweatshirt to a thrift store, I'm not getting any money for it. I'm getting maybe a tax write-off for giving that to an organization or a store, whether it's some of my favorite ones. I've talked about how much I love like tiny thrift stores that give all the proceeds to like women's organizations or uh, their church run or what have you. But thrift usually means the stuff is inexpensive. There won't be a lot of designer labels. And that can be from kind of any era. So you think you got it, Sarah? I think I got it, Mary. I, I, I'm pretty familiar with these terms now that we've been doing the show for, gosh, going on a year now. But, but, it, but they are a little confusing, I think, to the person dipping their toe in the water. So this is a good a reminder of, of what things mean and, and, and how you might approach them. Totally. And as, I'm a writer. So I'm keenly interested in language and our use of language. My book, Brag Better, is out May 19th, 2020. Please pre-order it on Amazon. But I will say, like as someone who's interested in the words we use behind things, I'm also curious to see what becomes standard practice as this as this industry continues to explode. Business of Fashion last week, I think, reported that 
by 2025 now they are forecasting that it will be a 23 billion dollar industry and it's just massive and not slowing down so want to really break down the vocab there So I wanted to get into some INGO listener kind of mailbag, a lot of requests I get for certain objects and do it in real time and share it all with all of you versus just emailing, you know, a listener back, which let me tell you, thank you. I am delighted by the reviews. We are delighted by the emails, the DMs, all of those. It's so fun to see Sarah. Like it, I can't believe that like people listen to us doing this. I mean, it's great. As a person who's been uh, producing and hosting podcasts for some time, and this is, this was a little outside my wheelhouse when we started this, but it's like my favorite part of the week because I get to learn along with a lot of other people because Mare's the expert and I'm kind of, I'm, get, I'm you know, now I buy everything secondhand, <laughs> but it was not that long ago where I was like, oh, I don't know, this all seems really hard and like convoluted and there's shipping and it's so much, so much easier than I thought. But it is so nice when you start a new podcast and you think, I love this. This means a lot to me. I hope someone else out there gets something out of it and you get good feedback. It's like, it's so satisfying. It's so great. And even when you tell me I have vocal fry, like I still love it because it means you're <laughs> so listening. Do I. But like you're listening to me and this is my voice and this is who I am. And you know what? You're still listening. So... That's cool. It's super awesome. It is such a serotonin boost. And um, I, too, thank my, everyone who's been listening and, and spreading the word about our fine little podcast. Exactly. So let's get into some stuff that you guys are asking me. Uh, this is from Aaron S. Hi. I just started reselling on Poshmark. Do you have any advice for starting out? I'm nervous spending a ton at stores when I don't have a huge following, so it may or may not sell. Additionally, do you prefer to sell online or in-store? Does it depend on the item? Thank you. Thank you, Aaron S. This is a lot of different questions in one. So I will um, do some of them. Hi, I just started reselling on Poshmark. So this is something that people talk to me a lot about is this idea of flipping stuff. Um, we'll get a little bit more into flipping on a future episode. What does that mean? It's sort of like, you know, when you flip a house, you buy something at a lesser price and then, you know, sell it for more. Um, I'm not flipping any houses, but I guess I'm flipping like some jackets over here. Reselling is something you have to be careful about. Uh, really knowing the market and knowing that it's a good choice. Like lots of people have been in my DMs, whether they're friends or just other people saying like, hey, is this worth buying at this price and reselling? For example, my mom was somewhere and she's like, they have these Chanel earrings. Like, you know, they have tons of them. Should we? Should you get them and sell them? And, you know, I think they were selling them for like $200, but Chanel earrings don't sell for that much. So it ultimately wasn't, was it worth it? With reselling, you have to be careful. So you haven't resold something, have you? I have not. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say so because I'm very good at buying. I haven't gotten into selling yet. And part of it is like, it's this weird kind of block that I have where I'm like, who would want my like old shit? And I know that that is a dumb way to feel because I have like some really nice stuff that for whatever reason, I'm just not wearing anymore, but there's nothing wrong with it. But I, ha I have to get over that kind of like, who would want this? It's been in my closet for like two years. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is a lot of people do. And we will we will back channel and maybe go through your stuff or we can we can do it and talk about the different items you have. So reselling is kind of an advanced advanced level in, in the Mario Kart of It Never Gets Old, uh, which is the only video game like I've ever played. You just got to be careful 
that what you're buying really is worth it. Like if you want to try a couple and break even, sometimes even I like don't end up getting a good resale value. And, you know, I don't care. I just care about breaking even. And that's what's important, I think, to keep in mind there. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, I I use the word gambling loosely because it's not really the same thing. But in our Palm Springs episode, you had described, you know, you went to two consignment stores and they both had a pair of shoes, I think it was. And one was extremely cheap and the other place was, you know, hundreds of dollars more expensive. Now, if you had just been to that, you know, the, the second store and you really wanted the shoes, you might have been like, well, they're at a discount. I'm going to go ahead and buy them for $400. So the idea of flipping is knowing that you're going to get people who maybe aren't going to do a ton of research. Not that they aren't smart or whatever, but, you know, maybe time is of the essence and you will be able to get a good uh, um, a good payback from having these in your possession for a short time or however long you have. But with the intention of flipping them like a house, that's something that a lot of people, myself included, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Oh, I'm going to buy something that I won't really have for very long in order to maybe get a little money off of it. But but the more you think about that, the the more that you can really start thinking about this as a money-making venture. Totally. It's a gamble. Um, and as Aaron S. was saying, like, I don't have a huge following, so it may or may not sell. So again, like, those are things you need to keep in mind. You have to cultivate some of that online before people will buy your stuff. Do you prefer to sell online or in stores? I, I, I'm going to treat this as reselling since we're talking about all reselling. I think you can get the best margins when you buy something in store uh, because people were trying to move that stuff. There were some, I mean, (laughs) we'll do a Chicago uh, guide, but I considered buying a bunch of fur coats and then reselling them. And then I was like, girl, you have lost your damn mind. But uh, in stores, things are almost always, mm, it depends, but, but they're usually less. And then you can sell it more online, sell it for more money online. But sometimes it's the converse. That's also just how I am. I'm an in-person shopper. I am a strange millennial in that I really prefer shopping IRL. Despite my crippling Poshmark habit, I would say for the most part, that's where I end up finding everything. And then I talk people down on prices and then I go to the internet and sell it. Does it depend on the item? Yes, I mean, some things people really need to see in person and some things are just so desired that they'll sell. So let's say I find a great Chanel bag um, in a tiny thrift store somewhere and I pay a couple hundred dollars for it. Like obviously then online, it's something that people recognize. If it's something a lot of people want, a lot of people recognize, you can get more money for it. Well, and something like a handbag is great, right? Because you don't have to have a perfect fit. (laughs) It is what it is as long as you have a shoulder. Uh, Something like shoes can get a little trickier. And that's where the in-person stuff does come in. It depends on what you're looking for, what you're buying. Totally. Okay. Let's do one more email from Rachel. Hi, I'm a longtime casual IRL thrifter but a baby online, and I have a question. I love all of these. I love all of you. I dot, 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 do not understand haggling on Poshmark. 
A lot of prices seem quite high, like more or less equivalent to retail, only used in non-returnable, which I think is at least partially because there's an expectation of haggling. I do not understand the etiquette of haggling on Poshmark at all. Am I supposed to do it? How? What's a good way to think about it? How much less is appropriate to ask for? And how do you ask for a seller to consider a lower offer without being obnoxious? So far, I've avoided it, buying items only when I feel like the original asking price is fair, but I suspect I'm missing out. I'd love to hear your guidance on the podcast. This is a great question. Sarah, what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, it's really funny. So recently on Poshmark, um, it's been raining a lot in Northern California. I bought a pair of hunter boots, right? You know, kind of the the black glossy, you know, standard hunter boots where I can just like wade through mud and they're galoshes and they're great. My mom took one look at them and she was like, I love those. Where do I get them? And I was like, well, I got them on Poshmark and you should too, because I got them like for half price. They're, they, I think they retail for something like 160 and I got them for 60 because I haggled down and she was like, okay. And then <laughs> it was funny. She, she kind of didn't get it. Um, because she was new to the whole thing. She was like, well, I mean, there were, there were a few of them, but they, the prices were almost as high as the, the retail value. And I was like, well, but did you, did you offer or did you just like look at the prices that they posted? And she was like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, yeah, see, that's the whole thing. I think haggling kind of works this way universally. It depends on who you're working with. There are people on Poshmark who will say price firm and those people are like not playing the game. But for the most part, if you want something and there's a price, that person has inflated the price knowing that you're going to offer two thirds, maybe half of, you know, less of what they've offered in order to kind of get to some medium. They are willing to part with this item. Once you're like, like for me, I'm like, if somebody offers me, let's say I want a pair of earrings and they're a hundred dollars, I will offer them 50. And, and I know that that's insulting and I know that they won't take it. And they might say, mm, no, but what about 85? And I'm like, mm, what about 60? I'm so proud. Like how far, if please listen to our archive <laughs> because Sarah talking about haggling at any previous point <laughs> Like this girl was out here buying full price rag and bone jeans. And now she's like, let me tell you about haggling. Right, yeah. Let so me tell you how to save $15. I, epic. Yeah, exactly. Epic pride. So, so obviously I am so, like, it gives me deep joy to argue with strangers on the internet over clothing that has been worn by them first. So, uh, yes, there's everybody inflates their prices. If you are selling things on Poshmark, inflate your prices uh, and then figure out what your bottom line is that you're willing to sell something for. And then sometimes you go lower than that. Uh, there are different offer features on Poshmark. You can kind of play around with it. But haggling, I think, is expected. And, you know, when people say price firm, I'm sort of I get it, but then I'm like, well, that's one of the one of the big draws of Poshmark is that you can offer and you can negotiate, which I think is like one of the huge draws and why it has done billions and billions of dollars in transactions. Yeah, and the fact that a lot of people they really are trying to like get stuff out of their closet. You know, you never really know what someone's situation is, but I know that there have been times where someone they they agreed to the price and they probably weren't super happy with the price that they ended up with with me but they probably wanted those big old fry boots out of their closets yeah and i've done that too i've been like oh fine like you know as someone who's sold on poshmark for a long time i think i've seen a lot of new followers at fine mc so maybe maybe y'all are finding my poshmark yeah i mean i think that uh it's something that eventually 
you have to just decide as a seller and then as a buyer, you just have to get more comfortable. Maybe set a number for yourself that feels okay. Be like, okay, I'm willing to bid 80% of the price. I mean, Poshmark will stop you at some point uh, from bidding too low, which is also true on eBay and also true on Grilled. Like the platform will stop you from offering someone $1. Yeah. Yeah, $1. And I've had people get mad at me uh, because I, you know, they feel like they, you know, there are lots of like warnings, like low ballers will be blocked. Uh, A lot of times I shoot my shot. And then sometimes I've gotten into haggling scenarios where we're going like dollar for dollar. They're like 149. I'm like 140. And they're like 148. I'm like 141. (laughs) And then eventually like we do this, we do this fucking dance until we like, uh, you know, settle in the middle or like petty power move. They cut out at like, you know, then we go up to 142. That person goes down to 147, 143, 146. And then I do like 144. And then they're like, no, never mind. I'm like, oh, that is advanced petty, right, um, right. which which I also appreciate. So I would say, Rachel, thank you for listening. And that is like just some little haggling. We did a haggling episode. If you want to listen in the archives to that too. So I wanted to answer two emails, which we did. Please continue to email hello at ingopodcast.com. I am reading them. They're great. Love it. Please do that. Or you can ask your questions in the DMs at ingopodcast at Meredith Feynman. Either's fine. Uh, I wanted to go through two asks, which is another fun thing uh, that people have been asking for specific items and then just go through how I would go about finding them. So the first one was about blazers, which like, I love me a good blazer. I have, I used to have a blazer. I mean, I still have a blazer problem, but um, I wanted to start a resale site that was only for blazers. (laughs) (laughs) That's my justification was like, this used to be much, much worse. (laughs) But I love me a good blazer. I love a blazer with a power pantaloon, with a jean, with anything. I just love a blazer. The crazy thing about blazers is unless it's like Alexander McQueen, Stella McCartney or St. Laurent, which I'm naming sort of three brands that have blazers that hold crazy value, which means they resell for a lot of money. Blazers hold very little secondhand value. I was talking about specifically in your place like Washington, D.C. or other cities or honestly anywhere because I feel like work attire has gotten so much more casual. There are a lot of secondhand blazers that are just existing and floating around yeah that's interesting i am a blazer fan as well uh they often the arms are too long and i i almost always have to tailor a blazer when i have one but like you said you know you pair it with a t-shirt and jeans and like cute shoes it's such a look it's great but at the same time yeah more and more it's not really required for office attire so there are a lot of them floating around and that probably drives the price down. Totally. So for right now, blazers are really inexpensive. If you love Theory, if you love J. Crew, um, you can find them all over Poshmark. You can find them all over ThreadUp. You can find them in every local consignment store. Uh, they are something that's always there. It's like a consignment store staple. Like I want to say like that very first time when I was 11 years old that my mom took me to a resale shop. Maybe she was looking at suits, but but the point is, is the blazers are always going to be blazing. So <laughs> that's that's where I would look. And I would just say that they generally proliferate and maybe hop into a local consignment store because depending on the brand, like blazers can be a very particular fit and cut. And if you want to look like a lady boss or actually not a lady boss, a regular boss, you know, consider it. 
So the other item I got asked about all the time is the Gucci loafer. So Gucci just sort of came into its own and started to put butterflies on fucking everything um, and became extremely maximalist and I still think holds a ton of value. People are trending towards less of this sort of overdone look, but their loafer is an amazing shoe. And I think it is called it is called the Princetown Loafer. Um, it's sort of more of a slide and it's like, a, it's basically a very fancy leather slipper. And a lot of people want them. You've, do you, you don't own these, do you, Sarah? I do not. I don't own anything Gucci. I would like to. I own a few Gucci knockoff things where people think that they're Gucci and I go, oh, but I know better. But uh, but I love the loafer. I love anything that's slip on and also cute. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about the Gucci loafer is that they look amazing in any professional scenario, but you're also wearing slippers. Yeah. Right. It's just pretty great. So, okay. So initially they were criminally expensive to buy secondhand. So much so that I literally paid full price for them in the store on my 30th birthday. And I got the black ones and they're great. I still have them. Uh, And it, it was when I was looking for them secondhand, they were literally more expensive to buy secondhand, which happens when something comes out immediately and is so hot. And they really realized they had something that now they have overproduced them. Uh, which is to say that, like, you know, a lot of brands, when they get a hit, they'll just, this is like great movies, they'll just run it into the ground. So they made ones with fur, they made ones with patterns, they made ones with Disney characters, they made ones with prints, they made ones with, like, tapestry. They Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, they made a million of them. They made them with the bees that they like. They made them with the, I don't know what other area, like, animals Gucci's into using, but not, like, real bees. Save the bees. Uh, but the point is... You can get them on the real real is going to be the most expensive place. Uh, I suggest looking on Poshmark. Please do your due diligence. Listen to some of the cues in one of our past episodes about fakes, not get fake ones. Um, but right now you can find really good deals on them, especially if they are not the plain black ones, um, not the fur ones and are a little bit more out there. Like if you want a pair of like hot pink ones, like have at it. Um, but now the prices are are pretty good. And I think that you can actually very much haggle with people over them because they're just too many. So I think the, the kind of underlying message here is you can get good prices for them because someone who pre-loved the Gucci loafers might be ready to part with them. So how do you deal with the idea that they're out of style now or they're, you know, they're, they're not trendy anymore? Yeah, I actually don't think those will go out of style for a long time. I have a, I still have my black pair. Don't plan on selling them. Uh, I have a couple other pairs of them and they always look great in a work scenario. They always just dress it up and they always look classy uh, and they're great for like chilling on your couch or going into a big meeting, which is why I really like them. They're great in the summer. I obviously like, generally stand. So the, the issue is not that they're like less trendy. I think people are still buying a ton of them, but Gucci almost overproduce them and like that is you know economics of like supply and demand um you know they also just flooded the market with them and then everybody decided they had to have them and now they're like oh well everyone has them so like and i bought three pairs like i don't need i can sell one pair is basically what's happening right right So that's a little bit of the lay of the land of the lingo uh, of this world and a bit from 
listeners. You can always hit us up. Hello at ingopodcast.com. Slide into the DMs with those requests or questions. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me what you found at ingopodcast at Meredith Feynman. You can learn more about me, your host, Meredith Feynman, my perfect producer, Sarah Lane, on our website at ingopodcast.com. And we'll be back soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 